Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are looking only on the surface of things. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as he. For even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than pulling you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realise that what we are in our letters when we are absent we will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. We're not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our area of activity among you will greatly expand, so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in another man's territory. But let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Thank you very much indeed, Dave, uh, for reading for us. Please keep your Bible open at 2 Corinthians 10. You may also like to find the uh, uh, handout that you received on the way in, which will show you uh, where we're heading over the next uh, few minutes. As we come to God's word, we always need to ask him uh, for his help. So let me lead us as we pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we look at your word in these next few minutes, you would help us, uh, that in us you would bring down every stronghold that is set up against you and capture every thought for Christ, that you would conquer every rebel power in us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, 10 years ago, I uh, sat right up there in the corner of the balcony uh, as a fresher looking for a church to join. 
Uh, I remember that uh, there were things in that service um, I didn't particularly like, if I'm honest. Uh, I had no problem with the organ, no problem with the band, but um, both in one service? I hadn't come across that before. That was a little bit odd. Uh, There were other things in the service that, if I'm honest, uh, weren't quite to my taste. But I decided to stay because of the person who stood where I'm standing now. Um, I don't know who it was. I can't remember. I can't remember what they said. But it was clear to me that they wanted to teach me the Bible and to point me to Jesus. And I knew that's what I should be looking for. That's why I stayed. Uh, Or at least I think that's why I stayed. Uh, But if I'm honest, it was probably also due to the fact that there were a number of other people here. And the music, though not exactly to my taste, was impressive. And the preacher, while faithful, was also eloquent. And more than that, um, uh, more than I like to admit, those things might have influenced uh, why I stayed. Of course, they're all good things. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But uh, a crowd and Im- impressive music and an elegant, uh, eloquent preacher is no guarantee that you found an authentic Christian ministry. Uh, for whatever reason, I stayed. I'm very glad I did. I wonder what brought you to forward or why you've stayed as long as uh, you have. Or if you're in the position that I was 10 years ago and you're looking for a church, I wonder what will make up your mind. As we look at the ministry of a church, and particularly as we look at its leaders, what should we be looking for? What things should we prize? What marks out an authentic Christian ministry? We need to know that because otherwise we might be drawn to all sorts of wrong things. Well, we're not the first Christians to face that question. And in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, which we're looking at this morning, uh, this is a turning point in the letter where those issues come into sharp focus because it's from chapter 10 through to the end of the letter that Paul firmly turns his focus to the false teachers, the so-called super apostles in the Corinthian church who are wrestling for power and influence. Through Paul's two letters uh, to the Corinthian church that we have in the Bible, we build up a picture, a bit like a jigsaw puzzle, of what these super apostles were like. It seems they were bold, popular, dynamic, impressive, powerful orators. They appeared strong in their use of authority, yet they were always eager to say what would please people. By contrast, Paul, well, he was not always very eloquent. He was more gentle in disposition. He was persecuted and suffering. He didn't take their money, and so he will have looked less prosperous. He didn't seize the limelight or command a great personal following, and he sacrificed popularity by delivering uncomfortable truths. And as a result, the loyalty of the church in Corinth was being lured away towards more impressive figures who criticized Paul for his apparently weak leadership. That's why, beginning in this chapter, Paul urges the Corinthian church, and he urges us this morning, to see beyond what's on the surface. To see that though it may look weak, authentic Christian ministry is powerful, And we see that in three ways in this chapter. Firstly, in Paul's character, verses one and two. Paul's character looked weak and his critics were only too keen to point it out. Take a look down at verse 10. Verse 10. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Before this, Paul had written them a firm letter because there were people in the church openly sinning and seemingly getting getting away with it. So he told the church to hold these people to account. You see, he was bold in that letter. But then his planned follow-up visit had to be postponed. And so his critics were saying, 
at a safe distance. This Paul, he talks a big, big game, but he's not got the guts to say it to our faces. That's the accusation. He pretends to be bold. Really, he's a coward. So Paul addresses this accusation head on in verse one. He writes there, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away. Here's the mistake that Paul's critics had made. They had mistaken humility for timidity. His gentleness for weakness. But to be humble and gentle is not to be timid and weak. Actually, it's to be like Christ. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. Paul, with all his apostolic authority, could have weighed in with forceful indignation, but instead he appeals to them in the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And the reason why? Because he loves them. Uh, This last week in uh, my office, I uh, sat and read aloud chapters 10 to 13 of, uh, of 2 Corinthians. And I found it really quite moving as I did that because it's so clear in these chapters that Paul loves them deeply. He says he's jealous for them with a godly jealousy. He says, God knows I love you. He's so concerned for them that if they feel weak, he feels weak. If they fall into sin, he says he burns inside. He feels wounded by their boredom with him. He says he loves them like a parent and would willingly expend himself in their service. He says everything he does is for their strengthening. And he says he's afraid. Afraid of what? Well, he says in chapter 12, I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be. And you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and, do- and disorder. I am afraid that when I come again, I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented. He's afraid. When you and I love someone, we'll be afraid of conflict with them because it hurts us and it hurts them. And it hurts us that it hurts them. No, if you love someone, you'll want to be gentle with them, but you'll also be willing to be firm if you have to be. Any other approach is less than loving. Think through the alternatives. If you're eager to be firm with someone, to put them in their place, that would expose a lack of love because clearly you're not concerned about hurting them. But then if you're unwilling to ever be firm by giving correction, that exposes a lack of love because clearly you don't really care whether they make wise decisions that will be for their good. You're more concerned to keep keep yourself away from an awkward situation. But real love, real love, looks like this. A desire to be gentle, but a reluctant willingness to be firm where it'll be for the other's good. When you love someone, a hard word is as hard to say as it is to hear. And so it's not done eagerly or carelessly, but it is done because love is more concerned with the other's good than one's own comfort. Why is Paul writing? Because he's afraid. Afraid of the pain that on his next visit he'll have to be firm with those he loves. That's why in verse two, Paul writes, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some. He doesn't demand or insist or command. He begs, please don't, please don't let it be like that. 
because he loves. Paul's character looks to some timid and weak. But despite appearances, authentic Christian ministry is powerful. How's that powerful? Because there's no correction more likely to change me than when it comes from someone I know loves me. You see, it's powerful. Many church leaders will never correct you because they don't love you enough to risk losing your approval. Some will correct you because they don't love you and so don't mind hurting you. But we should follow and want leaders who love us enough to correct us even though they'd rather not. We should, in short, follow leaders like Jesus. Jesus was humble, but not afraid to be bold. If you or I had met him in person, face to face, gone for a walk and talked with him one to one, he'd have put his finger on exactly the thing in your life you need to hear about and change. But you'd never have doubted that he loved you. He does that still today through his word and those who teach it. And so our response to that teaching, hear me carefully, insofar as it's faithful to his word, is our response to Jesus. It's a huge challenge to me. Am I willing to be corrected? Or do I want leaders who will give me a domesticated Jesus, who will do as I tell him and never challenge challenge me to change? Paul's meekness and gentleness made him look weak. But consider this. If Paul had charged in and taken on the false teachers with great force, ruthlessly crushing them, he might well have won the battle, but he'd have lost the war. He'd have lost the war because the church left behind would have been shaped by a leader who lacked love for his enemies. And a church that lacks love for enemies has forgotten that's exactly what they were when Jesus died for them. And so we as a church family must not only follow, but also be those who speak with the meekness and gentleness of Christ. We should love each other enough to correct each other where that's needed, but to do so humbly and gently. We should speak the truth, but do so in love as Paul puts it in Ephesians 4. That's a sign of authentic Christian ministry. Despite appearances, authentic Christian ministry is powerful. And we see that firstly in Paul's character, secondly in Paul's weapons, verses three to six. Paul says at the end of verse two, take a look at it, the end of verse two, that there are some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. When they talk about this world, what they're getting at is that it looks weak and unimpressive, that it lacks power. And they were saying that's what Paul's ministry is like, weak. And against that accusation, Paul argues that despite appearances, the weapons of his ministry are powerful. Take a look at verse three. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. He says we are weak, yeah, but our weapons are not. We're unimpressive, sure, but our weapons are powerful. Verse four, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What are Paul's weapons? The tools of his ministry? Well, we see at the end of verse 14, 
we did get as far as you, he writes, with the gospel of Christ. Earlier in the letter, in chapter four, he writes, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, there's that phrase again, on the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. At the heart of Paul's armory is the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. He holds out the gospel to to people faithfully. He teaches it. And how weak it looks. Uh, I'm a big fan of the James Bond films. Um, uh, I'm not picky. Put me in front of a Bond film, I have a great time. Uh, I love the action scenes, the car chases, the explosions, that precise British charm. You know what I'm talking about? It's great. Love it. Uh, Over the years, Bond has been increasingly, uh, given increasingly elaborate gadgets, uh, like exploding watches and cars that fire missiles and stuff. It's great. Uh, But there was this brilliant shift a few years ago Uh, when they very consciously stepped away from all that and gave James Bond a tiny little radio. It looked bizarrely low-tech and weak. But then later in the film, when Bond was cornered and looked defeated, all the guns pointed at him, he was saved because he pressed the little button on his little radio and called to his aid the full power and might of the British military. As he shows the villain his little radio... Helicopters start swarming overhead and he's rescued. So little. Yet through it, such power. Sometimes when I sit in Costa Coffee meeting with someone to read the Bible, I feel, quite frankly, like a Muppet. There with my Bible, my little Bible, a thing that looks so weak, so unimpressive, such a little thing. Don't be fooled by appearances divine power to demolish strongholds. That's why Paul writes elsewhere, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It's divine power to demolish strongholds. In Ephesians 6, Paul describes the full armory of God. The scriptures are described as the sword of the spirits, the primary weapon, but he also talks about the spiritual weapons of truth, righteousness, faith, and prayer, A Christian who speaks the truth, wielding the sword of the Bible, living a righteous life consistent with what they speak and praying with faith. That kind of Christian looks so weak. They're on their knees praying, they're sharing the gospel, they're referring to the Bible, they're trusting in God, so weak. But despite appearances, they are a fully mobilized soldier, wielding weapons of divine power enough to demolish strongholds. We might ask, what are these strongholds that the gospel and other spiritual weapons have power to demolish? Well, look on at verse five and we see. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You see, the gospel is powerful to change the way people think and what they believe at the deepest level. A few years ago, my wife and I went to Edinburgh Castle. It's very impressive. Uh, It's very heavily fortified. And nowadays, of course, you can buy a ticket and just stroll right in. But in the past, trying to break into a fortress like that must have been nearly impossible. Even if you did break through the outer defences, as impressive as they are, you still wouldn't have reached the stronghold. That's deeper within. 
It's a nearly solid structure with small points of access to make it easier to defend and very hard to capture. That's the stronghold. How do you bring down a spiritual stronghold? We see them in people around us all the time. Those we know and neighbor and work with, friends and family. How do you bring that kind of a stronghold down? With the quiet, unassuming, unimpressive weapons of the Bible and prayer. Because those are the weapons that have the power to demolish arguments and take captive thoughts. So little, so small. Divine power. These so-called super apostles looked so impressive with their brilliant oratory and their sophisticated arguments, but they had no power to reach the strongholds of people's minds and hearts. I want to be clear, there's nothing wrong with being a good orator, and there's nothing virtuous about being a dull preacher. It would make it easier if it were. Here we try to speak clearly and powerfully, but the real power only ever comes from the Bible. Remove that and the finest talk in the world may gather a crowd, but it won't win a heart or capture a mind for Christ. Without the Bible, it's all just bluster, showmanship and manipulation. That's what Paul's opponents were guilty of and it's a danger for the church still today. As a church, we should look for and follow leaders like Paul who are committed to teaching the Bible and modeling the Christian life to seeking God in prayer and depending on him in faith. Such leaders may or may not look impressive or speak well, but they will be seeking to leave you stunned by the gospel of Christ, not themselves. Follow leaders like that and flee from leaders who seem to be seeking glory for themselves instead of Jesus. As a church family, we should not only follow, but also be those who rely on the divine weapons of the gospel and prayer. That's how our friends and family and neighbors will come to believe the good news of Jesus. I fear that many, particularly of my generation, at times I've fallen for this as well, have fallen hook, line, and sinker for the false belief that we will persuade people of the truth of the gospel by out-arguing them on Facebook and Twitter. If you've ever had a look at the comment threads, the worst place to try and discuss your faith. The culture of debate online is almost universally one of dominate and destroy. But friends, those are not to be our weapons. Not only are they ugly, they're ineffective. One theologian writes this, argue a skeptic into a corner and you will not take his mind captive for Christ, but pray for him, proclaim the gospel to him, live out the gospel of peace, walk righteously by faith, you may discover that the power of truth, the convicting and regenerating work of the Holy Spirit and the glories of Christ Jesus shatter his reasons and demolish his arguments until you take captive his mind and heart to make them obedient to Christ. That kind of ministry will look weak, but despite appearances, authentic Christian ministry is powerful. We've seen it in Paul's character, we've seen it in his weapons, and finally in his commendation. In these last verses, we see that Paul's ministry is commended by the Lord Jesus. The Lord's commended him in two ways. Firstly, by giving him authority in the church, and secondly, by growing the church through his ministry. But to see these things, the Corinthians need to look beneath the surface level things. Look at verse 7. You are looking only on the surface of things. 
But they needed to look beneath because beneath the gentle Paul, armed with nothing more than a Bible and his prayers, was a Christ-commended apostle. He continues in verse seven. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as he. Consider again, says Paul. Because he's been given authority by Jesus in the church and when he comes, he'll demonstrate that by exercising it in a Christ-like way with both love and firmness where it's needed. That's why he talks in verse eight about the authority the Lord gave me for building you up rather than pulling you down. And he says, I will not be ashamed of it. In other words, as much as he'd like to prefer to, he'd prefer to use his authority to encourage and speak gently to them, he won't be a coward who ignores his responsibility to be firm as well. He reiterates that in verse 11. What we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. The Corinthians will see that his authority is from the Lord by the way he exercises it. And they'll see Paul's commendation when they look beneath the surface and consider again their own existence as a church in Corinth. You see, the super apostles boasted in their own strengths and qualities, comparing themselves with each other. They commended themselves. But look at what Paul says in verse 12. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. Paul boasts not by pointing to himself, but by pointing to the church in Corinth. Not to claim personal credit for the success of his ministry, but to say that the existence of a church in Corinth is a remarkable thing. It's remarkable because what did he do? He preached an apparently foolish, weak-looking gospel and yet, whoosh, a church has sprung up. What's that about? In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul wrote, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, the Gentiles being everyone else. So Paul's strategy was preaching a gospel that was to everyone either a stumbling block or foolishness. And yet there's a church. How did that happen? Because God was at work through Paul's ministry. The super apostles criticized Paul for not having enough endorsements and celebrity commendations from people like they did. But back in chapter three, Paul writes this. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? No, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry. The church in Corinth is proof that Paul's ministry is an authentic one. That's why Paul boasts in the Corinthians, because really that's a boast in the Lord's commendation of his ministry. It's why Paul ends this section in verse 17, writing, but let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Look beneath the surface, where Paul looks like a weak and uncommended leader, and you'll see one whom the Lord commends. Paul may not be able to pull a crowd like the super apostles, but the Lord has used him to build a church. One of my colleagues here has said a number of times recently uh, that numbers give almost no indication of spiritual maturity. He's right. And so we're not to assess a ministry and its leaders by the size of the crowd they draw. The fact that lots of people gather here on a Sunday doesn't validate the ministry of this church 
just as low numbers wouldn't invalidate it. But the presence of spiritual maturity does indicate that God is at work because it doesn't come about any other way. If you're here this morning looking for a church to join or if you ever find yourself moving house or looking for a new church for whatever reason, don't look for a crowd. Look for somewhere where a weak and foolish gospel is producing mature and godly church. That doesn't just happen. It only happens when God is at work. That's the sign of an authentic Christian ministry commended by the Lord. Authentic Christian ministry will often look weak. But what else would we expect from those who preach Christ crucified? Did Jesus look powerful as he carried his cross up the hill? Did he look impressive as he was nailed to it? Isaiah wrote of him, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. But despite appearances, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus, nailed to the cross, appeared so weak. But despite appearances, divine power was at work. Because there he destroyed the power of sin by taking the punishment for it on himself. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the shame of the cross to show his wisdom and power. Authentic Christian ministry often looks weak, but it's powerful. That was true for Paul, it's true today. And so we, like the Corinthians hearing this letter, have to decide where our loyalties lie. With the weak-looking gospel or more impressive imitations. I want to follow those who follow Jesus. Those who display his character, fight with his weapons and receive his commendation. I'm with Paul because Paul's with Jesus. And despite appearances, that kind of ministry is powerful. Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we fail to reflect the character of Jesus, when we resort to more impressive weapons than the word and prayer, and when we seek the commendation of the world. Please keep us faithful to the weak-looking gospel and the weak-looking Christ, and help us to follow and to boast in him, who in the weakness of the cross was powerful to save. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.